You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. If you've got your Bible this morning, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. It'll be on the screen behind, behind me as well. Um, we're going to continue on in this series, The Kingdom is Near. Last week, Pastor Drew, um, out in the parking lot out there, he, last week he introduced this new series and the theme for our, our, this coming nine-month school year that the, about the kingdom of God. And this, we kicked off a series, The Kingdom is Near. That is good news. That is good news. He talked about John the Baptist proclaiming the way of the Lord. And this week, I want to continue on in Mark chapter 1 on this idea that the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. For some of us, that feels, seems like a kind of an abstract thought. What does that even mean? The kingdom is near. But I want you to know that is very, very, very good news. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is here. God is not far away from us. And Jesus has been and is continuing to proclaim this gospel of good news that is restoration for the broken, that is healing for the mind, body, and soul. It's a kingdom of new beginnings. Thank the Lord for that. It's a kingdom of change and transformation that we don't have to be the same person that we were before. But it's a kingdom that calls us into something new. And in this new place, we can't bring the things of the past with us. It requires us to leave them behind. But what tends to happen is we settle for a lesser kingdom, a lesser gospel. And if you've never heard the gospel, like Pastor Drew said last week, if you've never heard the kingdom used in this, in this way, I, I apologized. I apologize to you. Because this is not about checking off a, a, a list of boxes. It's not about obeying the rules. It's not about... Uh, being a good little boy and a good little girl. This is about relationship with the king, King Jesus. And he invites us into intimacy with him. And he says, walk with me and I will show you a new way of life. And I don't know about you, but that is good news. And oftentimes we've settled for a lesser kingdom, a lesser gospel. And many people fall away because it's a gospel of maybe just positive thinking. A one, two, three steps to a better you. It's a gospel that's just a life philosophy. And it's so much more than that. You know, a couple, uh, several years ago, I was officiating a wedding. And uh, at the reception of this wedding, um, the father of the, the groom stood up. And the night before, when I met this man, I thought, wow, this is like the manliest guy I've ever met in my life. He had this big beard. He had a, you know, a flannel shirt on. He was just like this burly guy. I was like, man, he looks like a lumberjack. And I know that, you know, that's like a, I shouldn't be projecting that on him. But it turned out that he was a lumberjack. <laughs> so there, to all of you judging me, he was, in fact, a lumberjack. And I didn't, he didn't say a word like the whole time that I was with him. But at the reception, he stood up and he shared this story. And I just remember it so, so vividly because it really has impacted my heart all these years later. He said, there was this little girl and she was walking in her little town with her, her mom, and they were, they were like window shopping at the shop windows, and they came upon this one window, and they looked, she looked in, and she saw this beautiful pearl necklace. And this little girl thought in her heart, she said, I, I have got to get that necklace. i got to do whatever it takes to get that necklace. So she asked her mom, Mom, 
would you buy me that necklace? And the mother said, well, no, I'm not going to buy you that necklace. But I bet if you, you worked real hard, did some extra chores around the house, did some, some odd jobs for the, the neighbors, you know, checked your piggy bank, all those different things, you could come up with enough money and you could buy that necklace for yourself. So that little girl, she was bound and determined she was going to get that necklace. So she did extra chores around the house. She's searching the couch cushions for, for loose change. She's doing chores for the neighbors. And finally the day came, weeks later, where she had enough money to buy that necklace. Her mom took her down to the shop, and they, she watched as the, the shop owner took that necklace from the display and, and put it around her neck. And she looked into the mirror, and she thought, this is the most beautiful, the most precious, the most special thing that I have ever owned. And so from that day forward, that necklace never left her neck. When she went to bed at night, the necklace was on. When she woke up in the morning, the necklace was on. When she went to school, the necklace was on. It was always with her. It was her prized possession, the most important thing. She had worked hard for it. But one day, <clears throat> her dad came home from work. And he sat down on the couch and he said, honey, come here, I want to ask you something. And she, she crawled over onto her daddy's lap and he, and he looked at her in the eyes and he says, darling, do you love me? And she looked at him with this confused look on her face and thought, and said, of course, dad, I love you. That's a silly question. You know that I love you. Why would you even ask me a question like that? And he said, well, honey, if you love me, I want you to give me those pearls. And she grew indignant. She was so offended by the thought of this that she, she said, there's no way that I would give you my pearls, Dad. You know how hard I worked for them. Don't ask me to, give me to give you my pearls. And she jumped off her dad's lap and she ran into her room. The next day, Dad comes home from work. He sits down on the couch and he says, honey, come here, I want to ask you something. So she goes over and she crawls onto her daddy's lap and he looks at her in the eyes and he says, darling, do you love me? And again, she said, Dad, yes, you know that I love you. You asked me that yesterday. Don't ask me that anymore. You know that I love you. And he said, well, honey, if you love me, I want you to give me those pearls. And again, she said, Dad, I will never give you these pearls. You know how hard I work for them. They are, they are the most special thing to me. Don't ask me again. She jumped off her daddy's lap, and she ran back into her room. Well, day after day after day, this same song and dance happened. Finally, one day, dad comes home, he comes down, and he sits on the couch, and she, by this time, she already knows what's going to happen. And he says, honey, come here, I want to ask you something. So she goes over, she crawls on her daddy's lap, and he looks at her in the eyes, and he says, darling, do you love me? She said, yes, dad, I, I love you with all of my heart. And he said, honey, if you love me, I, I want you to give me those pearls. So with a big sigh, she said, okay, Dad, I'll give you my pearls. She unfastened the pearls, and she looked at them one last time and gave them to her father. He took those pearls and put them in his pocket. She was about to jump off his lap, and he grabbed her, and he pulled her in close. And from his other pocket, he reached in, and he, he pull, pulled out a real set of pearls. And he looked at his daughter and he said, honey, I've been waiting for so long to give you these real pearls, but you wanted to hang on to the fake ones. I think that story has stuck with me for so long because I think this is the, 
the plight of humanity that we have worked so hard for the facade. We've worked so hard for our religion. We've worked so hard at just trying to be really good. Putting our best foot forward when Jesus is saying, just put that fake stuff away. I'm inviting you into something real and authentic. Would you come up with me and we're going to go on a journey together. And I believe that's what God is inviting you into this morning. He's inviting each one of us into. Maybe you have a distorted view of God and the Father and he's saying, let me show you who I am. Maybe you have a distorted view of his people and he's like, let me show you who my people really are. But it's going to require the laying down of our lives. And this is what we see in Mark chapter 1. So in Mark chapter 1, this is when Jesus calls his first disciples. And in verse 14, he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in, this go- in the gospel. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, and John, James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So we start out by Jesus bursts onto the scene. He had just come out of the wilderness and he bursts onto the scene proclaiming this message that the kingdom is near. The kingdom is near. You see, John's message, John the Baptist, his message was prepare the way. Prepare the way. And Jesus is proclaiming, I am the way. The kingdom came near in Jesus himself. And so John's being arrested and, 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 and being silenced marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he began preaching this good news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. So he began to preach this good news. But can I tell you, for many in those days, it wasn't good news. This introduction of this upside-down kingdom, this paradoxical kingdom, that was saying, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you, want to, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And it was going to mean a lot of these people's worlds being turned upside down. Their way of life, their tradition, their culture. Everything that they know was going to be turned on its head. And they didn't know it, but that was a good thing. That was a good thing. Do you know that God knows what you need more than you do? And he's proclaiming good news for your life. And sometimes we're like, I don't know about that. So he's proclaiming the kingdom has come. You see, for these, these, these first century Jews, this idea of, a, of a, the kingdom of God was a far off and distant thing. It was a different age. But Jesus is saying, no, it's here now. And he introduced this idea of, of the already but not yet. The kingdom has come, but also the kingdom is coming. We're experiencing it now, but we're going to experience it in a different and greater way in the future as well. And even though he was proclaiming good news, he was not preaching a very palatable or popular message. It was a message that would inevitably have him killed. 
So in verse 16, we see him, it says that he's passing along in the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Wouldn't it be, man, it's nice to be like Simon, or he's later called Peter, and then Andrew, the brother of Simon. <laughs> Peter. Wouldn't it be a bummer to be known as the brother of that other guy? That's for me a lot of times, it's Tony, the brother of Drew. But I love that title, I think that's great. But here we see these two men, and they're just going about their everyday life. They're casting their nets into the sea. They're fishermen, so they're just doing what they do. They're fishing. And Jesus shows up in the everyday life. This is a kingdom of the right now. It's not just a kingdom of some far off and future place, but it's a kingdom of the right now, of the everyday life, where Jesus meets us. He comes into the menial tasks. He comes into the mundane he interrupts our routines, and he invites us to follow him. You might be driving in your car, and the Holy Spirit just begins to speak and minister to your heart. You might be at work or cleaning up after your kids, and Jesus can meet you if we're looking for him. But many times we miss him because we're waiting for this, the, the right conditions. We're saying, well, when I'm at church and the worship team is playing my favorite song and I'm sitting in my seat, then, then Jesus can really show up. Then I'll be ready for it. Or when I'm at home and I got, my, I got my, my, the music that I really like on and uh, I'm alone and I've got everything perfect, then Jesus can show up. And he does and can. And I encourage every single one of us to get alone with Jesus. But he can show up. This is the kingdom of the right now, the here and now, the everyday life. And he can show up in your life. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, he can reach you. The question is, do we look up from our nets when he comes? A couple weeks ago, I was talking to my wife's grandfather, amazing man, and in, the, in our conversation, he began to share a story I never heard, about, heard from him before about how he gave his life to the Lord. He said, I was 20 years old, and um, he said he was dating his who would be future wife, Catherine, and she loved Jesus. I mean, she was on fire for God. And he said, I was a good guy, but I didn't really ever think anything about God. And, uh, and she would say, well, I'm not sure I can marry you, Walter, if you don't know Jesus. And so he began to start thinking about those things, but not really that seriously, more out of necessity than anything else, that he wanted to marry this girl. Well, one day, his dad, they were farmers, and his dad told him, Hey, take the tractor out beyond the apple trees there, and I want you to work the field. And he said, okay, sure. And so he went out there on the tractor, and he was working the field out, out there. And he said, and all of a sudden, I had never experienced anything like this before in my life. He said, I, I heard the Lord speak to my heart and said, Walter, stop this tractor. And he said, it jarred me enough to where I, like, stopped the tractor. And he said, and then he heard the Lord say, Walter, Get down on your knees. It's time. And he said, so there, out in the middle of the field, he got down on his hands and knees and he surrendered his life to Jesus. In the everyday, in the mundane task, Jesus showed up and called his name and said, now it's time. And that's, now he's walked with Jesus for 70 years. And uh, man, he just loves Jesus more today than even back then, but this is a kingdom of the right now, the here and now, and Jesus wants to show up in the everyday. So verse 17, it goes on and it says, and Jesus said to them, 
Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I love, I love that. You know, any time in the Bible when Jesus speaks, we should listen, right? But he says, follow me, and I will make you become. So it's not like there's, we just leave everything, and then there's just like this vacuum, right? He says, follow me, and then I will make you become. And he's using their language. They're fishermen. So he said, I will make you fishers of men. This is a kingdom of transformation. He's calling you into something greater, but we have to leave behind that old stuff, and he can take us into that, that, that place that we are unable to go on our own. He enables us to become what he created us for. And this idea of personal transformation was yet another indication that the kingdom had come near because this was not a thought that any of these people had thought. It was about obeying the rules and the letter of the law and being really good. But this idea of transformation from the inside out rather than the outside in was a new concept. And Jesus is saying, now you're going to experience a transformation and it's, it's going to equip you and empower you to become what I've created you for. And I thank God for that because my life was a mess before he came. Because Jesus came not just to forgive sin but to remove it so that we could become something we could never become on our own. So why wouldn't these men? It said they immediately left their nets. With a promise like this of transformation, there's no other, no other system, philosophy, anything, religion in the world has this sort of promise. This promise of transformation. So why wouldn't they leave everything and follow him immediately? Do you know that to this day, men and women gladly suffer for Jesus. They surrender all for him. They even die for him joyfully because in him, they have everything that they need. In Jesus, they have found what their souls have longed for. They have met God. Why wouldn't they leave their nice homes, their jobs and possessions, riches and reputation in exchange for fellowship with him? It's this promise of transformation. Verse 9, it goes on and it says, And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets, and immediately called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is a kingdom of total surrender. It demands surrender of our life. We forsake all to follow Jesus. We forsake everything to follow Jesus. See, these guys, they were, just, they were mending their nets, meaning that, that there was like, they were doing things for the future. They were mending their nets for future use. We know in this little portion of Scripture that they, if they were sons of Zebedee, Zebedee was, a, was somebody that people knew. He was well-known, and they were on the affluent part of, uh, side of society. They owned a ship. They had hired men. They had a, a good little business going. So they were going about their life's work. When their father was gone, then they would take over the family business. So can you imagine the shock when they walked off that boat to follow Jesus? It says, and they left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. Can, can you imagine? They're leaving everything. They're leaving their hopes and their dreams. They're, 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 they're leaving financial security. They're leaving reputation. They're leaving the, what everybody's going to think about them to follow Jesus. 
But that is what we're asked to forsake all for Jesus. It doesn't mean that those things are important. But we leave, it all, we leave the past, we leave those old things behind and we grab hold of the new ones. And, and I, this isn't always easy. I know for many of us, we, we've only surrendered parts of our lives to Jesus. For some of us, it's been a, more of a mental ascent. In our mind, we use our reason and our logic, and we say, okay, all the evidence does, it points to Jesus. And so I can accept him in that way. I know it's the right way, but then it hasn't, it hasn't traveled down into your soul. For some, it's just been more behavior modification. We're not as bad as we used to be. We haven't surrendered our heart completely to him. For some of us, we haven't surrendered our, our hopes and dreams and our ambitions to him. We don't trust him with that area of our life. Many people have a difficult time trusting, surrendering the past to the Lord. They've been frozen in a moment of time. They're held captive to the hurt and the pain in their life. They think by somehow, let not, by somehow letting it go would, would be, and putting that to rest would be to minimize it. Pretend that it didn't happen. When he's saying, where we're going, those things you can't bring with you. With young people or single people, I have found it's difficult to trust the Lord with the idea of a future spouse or relationships. We think God is some big fuddy-duddy in the sky that's going to make us marry somebody we don't really like or find attractive or isn't funny or any of those things. When what is, That's such a poor view of the Lord, isn't it? God has the best for us. He is the best for us. My life is a testimony of that. I didn't know that I needed the wife that I did, but the Lord knew that. And I've been blessed because of it. So we surrender all, we forsake all for Jesus. Totally. And then out of that flows everything else. Jesus is the center of it, and then everything else flows out of that. What we do, who we are. The relationships in our life. I can love my wife so much better when I love Jesus with everything that I am. I can love my, my kids better when I love Jesus with everything that I am. I can serve and work hard better when, when, when Jesus is at the center of my life. And he will lead us and guide us every step of the way. He will equip you and empower you to do the things that he's called you to do. William Barclay says, A man who lives in a world that is full of God cannot ever escape him. When Jesus is your world... Everything else is looked at through that, that lens. And some people would say, that's kind of radical. <laughs> that's kind of fanatical. But when you read these Gospels, that's what Jesus is calling us to. There's parts where people come to him and they say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he said, okay, well, we're, we're not going to have any, uh, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Is that all right with you? And they're like, ooh, I don't know about that. Or Lord, let me go, let me go bury my father first. And Jesus says, no, the time is now. And others come and they say, Lord, I want to follow you. And they say, sell everything you have and, and follow me. And they're like, I can't do that. Our best excuses fall so short. It requires everything. And that's good news because God can take us to places we can't go on our own. You know, I'm speaking from experience in my life where I've experienced this transformation in my life. 
Like, my brother and I, we, we grew up in a broken home. My mother was a, a strong Christian woman who fell into mental illness, drug addiction, and then alcoholism, and ended up taking her own life when I was a young man. And I grew up hating God. I hated him. I wanted to do everything that I could do to be far from him. So I dove headfirst into the things of this world. Any substance I could put in my body, I would put in my body. Any person that could try to fill that hole in my heart, it didn't matter. Finally, I was 20 years old. I'd been in and out of jail a few times and found myself in a, in a, in a place where I was a, in a government-run drug rehab facility that was basically like, get better or go to prison. You can do it. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I've been through treatment so many times, I know the things to say, and I'll get through this no problem. The problem was is that Jesus was passing by my boat. I came to a place where I had no one, I had nothing. All my best friends in the world had deserted me. My family, I had pushed them out of my life. I literally only had the clothes on my back. I didn't even have a toothbrush. And I remember looking out this window of this place I was staying and feeling sorry for myself. And all of a sudden, I see this car pull up. And it looked like my dad's car. And I thought, why would, they, why would my dad be here? And I saw my dad and my, my two brothers get out. And immediately I was just, I was so angry. You know, six months prior, I had cussed them out, said, I never want to see you again. And yet here, here they are. And I watched them get out of the car and go to the back of the car. <laughs> they opened up the, the trunk and they started pulling out groceries and toiletries and clothes. You know, I, I had nothing. I literally had nothing. And that was the first time in my life that God began to show me what love is. I began to understand what love was. You know, in the world, love is very conditional. It's very fickle. Do this, do this, do this, and love will be given. If you mess up, love is taken away. But the love of God goes beyond that. And here I was, and I didn't deserve this love that I was experiencing in my life. But yet here it was. That day my dad he gave me a Bible and said, Tony, you should read this. And I said, yeah, I'm not going to read this, Dad. And he said, well, you don't have anything else to do. And I said, yeah, you're right about that. So I did, that night I... I Without my roommates seeing, I went and I did what I tell no one to do, which is to just flip the Bible open. <laughs> You'll end up in Leviticus or something like that. But that, that night I flipped it open, and I flipped it open to Psalm 18. And I began to read, and God spoke to my heart for the first time in my life. And the paraphrase is this, is that, it says, I called out to the Lord, and he heard my cry from his temple. And he reached down from on high, and he pulled me out of the deep waters and set me into the broad place. 
He defeated my enemies who were too strong for me. And he rescued me because he delights in me. And I remember those words jumped off the page and hit me like a brick. And the Lord started speaking to my heart, Tony, I want to rescue you because I delight in you. I want to rescue you because I delight in you. And I said, God, are you kidding me? Look at me. What is there worth saving in my life? I've done things in my life that I fill me so full of shame. What is there to save and why would you want to? But over and over again, those words, Tony, I, I want to rescue you because I delight in you. I want to rescue you because I delight in you. So I didn't know what to do with that experience. And so I, did, I didn't say anything to anyone about it. About a month later, I was at lunch with my dad at this little diner in our city. And it was like a greasy spoon place. You know, the, the food is not very good and it smells weird in there and people are weird there and you have to pay with cash. <laughs> you know, those, still, those are my kind of places. I still like to go to those places. If I have to pay cash, it's going to be good. But I remember there was a lull in the conversation and my dad looked me in the eye and he said, he said son, aren't you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And I thought about that question. I said, yeah, I'm just so, so, so tired of being this emptiness. I'm so tired of this pain that I feel. I'm so tired of being angry and hurting people all the time. And I said, yeah, Dad, I am. He said, well, don't you think it's time for a change? And I said, yeah, Dad, but I don't, I don't know what to do. He said, well, don't you think it's time you gave your life to Jesus? And I thought about that, because I, I, I really think that, that we need to count the cost before we follow Jesus, because it does demand a surrender of our life, a surrender of everything. It's not just an addition to your life. It's a laying down of your life, saying, God, I'm going to give it all to follow you, Jesus. And so I sat there, and I thought about it, and I thought, man, well, me being in control of my life is really not going very well. So I said, all right, Dad, yeah, I'm ready. So we went out to my, our 19, Maroon 1998 Dodge Caravan, just this really holy and anointed place. And, and there we sat, and I was waiting for my dad to lead me in this prayer he'd been practicing for this moment. And so we just sat there awkwardly, and he said, Tony, aren't you going to pray? And I was like, Dad, I don't know what to pray. I haven't prayed since I was a kid. I have no idea what to pray. And he said, just from your heart, just tell the Lord that you need him. So right there, I closed my eyes. and I said, I said, Jesus, I need you. I just surrender my life to you. I need you. I need you. And that was the first day of my life. And I began this journey where God began to transform me. The things that I once desired, I no longer desired any longer. The person that I used to be, God began to slowly change me and transform me. And a year later, I had an experience with, with Holy Spirit. Where in that moment, I was completely freed from addictions, from depression, suicidal thoughts. I thought about blowing my brains out almost every day. And in that moment, Jesus freed me and he called me. He called me. He said, this is what I want you to become, and I'm going to equip you to do it. 
listen, you need to know this morning there's nothing special about me. There's nothing unique about me. This is the call of the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus that says, come. Just come. Follow me. Just simply trust me. And I will make you become. I will transform your life and I will change you. And use, make us something useful. Make us something useful. Worship team, you can come. I want God, like I said a couple weeks ago, I want God to, to use my life. I want my life to count for something. And so that's why every day we wake up and we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you today. I'm going to follow you today. You have my yes today. And then God does things that we never imagined. It's, we have an amazing ability to look at this, this gospel and we see where these, these disciples started their journey and then we get to watch how it unfolds and we get to see the silliness that they, arguments that they have and all these different things. And then inevitably we get to see the change that God brought in their life. And each one of these men and women eventually give their lives literally for this gospel. So God took them places they couldn't go. And uh, there's this quote by a man named C.T. Studd. If you ever want to read an amazing biography, read C.T. Studd's biography. He was an extremely challenging missionary. He said, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. Man, I want to throw a party in hell when they're like, man, I'm glad that guy's not on earth anymore, right? But for many of us, we're so caught up in the, in the, like the right now or the, the, the things of the past or the things that you're struggling with that you can't even think about what God might be using, want to use you for. And now, so he's saying, let's just leave, let's, let's let those things go. Let's leave those behind. They're, it's not that they're unimportant. We're going to deal with them, but let's leave those and trust those to me, and we're going to step into something new. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to do two simple calls this morning, and so we can bow our heads across this place. Nobody's looking around, and the first call I want to make this morning is there are people here that when I was talking about, man, you've only been surrendering part of your life to him. You knew that was you. I'm not talking about a matter of salvation, but I'm talking about a matter of like holding certain things back from him. If you hold nothing back from him, he'll hold nothing back from you. And there's parts of your life that you've been holding back. Maybe it's the future. Maybe it's the past. Maybe it's your family, your relationships, your kids. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your ambition. There's been parts that you've been holding back for yourself. And you want to just surrender it once and for all. Wholehearted, total surrender this morning. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand. And I'm not going to make you do anything weird or call you out or embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Would you raise your hand across this place? Thank you. Many of you. Is there anybody else? Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands down. The second question is this. If you're, you're like I was, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you weren't doing the silly things that I was doing. 
but you don't have a relationship with God and you want one, or maybe you've had one in the past, but it's just grown cold and stagnant and you need to get your life right with Jesus this morning, if that's you, would you just put your hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Today is your day. Jesus is standing at your boat. Thank you. You can put your hands down. As many of you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And like I said before, God's not looking for like the perfect set of words. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for the, the, the laying down of your life that says, God, you, it's you. You're at the center of it all. So I'm going to say a prayer. And even if you didn't raise your hand and you know you needed to, there's grace for you. Right? You can pray this prayer. But I want you to count the cost. He's asking for complete surrender of your life. So I'm going to say this prayer, and I want you to say one like it in your own heart, all right? Lord, I recognize that I've been far away from you. That there's things that are in my life that aren't pleasing to you. That I've been pursuing. There's things that have been a wedge between us. And right now, God, I just surrender everything that I am to you. I turn to you, Jesus. Right now, I accept that gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come now, fill to overflowing, fill to overflowing. Mark them in Jesus' name. No turning back, no looking to the left or the right, but eyes fixed on Jesus. And Lord, we stop pursuing the things of this world, and now we just pursue you. And out of everything else, out of that, everything else flows. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you just give it a hand for all those people that... If you gave your heart to the Lord, it's important to tell somebody about that. So whether it's somebody you came with or me or Pastor Drew or somebody near you or write it on one of those connection cards... It's important because the next step is getting involved with God's people, the community. You can't do it by yourself. So if you raise your hand for that first question, let me pray for you. Just receive this. God, we just come before you today. We just say, God, all of that I am is yours. Jesus, you paid it all. You paid it all. You paid it all. You paid a debt that I could not pay. Lord, you washed me white as as snow. You do, you, my sin is as far as the east is from the west. And we thank you, God, for that good news of the gospel. But it also demands something from me. It demands my life. And so, Lord, right now we just surrender every part, every place. God, every hidden room in our heart. Nothing is hidden from you. So, God, we just surrender it all to you right now in Jesus' name. And say, have my life, God, and never give it back. All for you, Jesus. And right now, God, you're calling, you're calling people in this room. You're calling them to the mission field. You're calling, you're opening their eyes right now to, to co-workers that they have that, that don't know you or that they've been so concerned with all the things going on in their own life that they've been completely unaware of the world around them. But right now, you're waking them up to the world around them. Our, our eyes are, are, are coming off of ourselves, and now they're going on you, Lord. So we're going to see the things that you see, Lord. For us, some of the people in this room, they're going to start seeing their neighbors, their neighborhood, 
You're going to begin to break their hearts, God, for the people around them in their life. You're going to set their life on a new mission because when they follow you, there's a transformation that comes and you cause us to become like you. Lord, we love you. Everything we do is for you. Help us to live our lives worthy of that calling that you placed on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.